to the Vagabond Way podcast. The journey goes ever on with The Long Road. This episode, Rise of the Artisan. A rare occurrence in 2020, The Long Road in the same building. We took a few minutes out from recording our new EP to talk about the rise of the artisan uh, and what artisan music means to us. Steve Bonham brings us The Angel, The Kid and The Ghost Town, part one. Kev Moore presents his first journal entry from his recent trek along the Camino Trail. And The Bishop, that's me, I report from the kitchen. The Vagabond Way podcast featuring The Long Road is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventurer, the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. And if those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. Chris the Bish Leiden. First of all, apologies for the absence of last week's episode. Last week got away from us all a little bit, uh, but we're back in the saddle again this week, so thanks for joining us. We'll have another episode next week, and then something will come out on Christmas Day itself, the following Friday, uh, for those of you who are super keen, uh, and then we're going to take a couple of weeks off, and we'll pick up again in the new year. Uh, Anyway, lots of content in this week's episode. Uh, I probably say that every week now, though, don't I? Uh, Anyway, we must bash on. This episode's trio recording was recorded a few weeks ago when we were at Woodworm Studios recording our new EP, Down at the Crossroads, which will be out in spring 2021. Uh, And I think we were on day five of being in the studio at this point, uh, and during lockdown too, so we didn't really get to go anywhere, we were just in the studio, Um, perhaps a bit of cabin fever was kicking in. Um, We thought we should capitalise on the three of us being in the same building at the same time uh, and do a podcast recording. Perhaps the last morning of that uh, recording session wasn't the wisest choice in terms of timing, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I can't now remember what we were talking about before I actually pushed record, uh, but I thought I'd leave this little false start you're about to hear in. Um, The restorative power of laughter should not be ignored, is my opinion. Um, And for those of you who don't know yet, I am a huge laugher. If something gets me, I am gone. Anyway... I'm going to hand over now to Steve, Kev, and me. Uh, We're wittering on about nothing uh, before we start our actual podcast recording. Shame I don't keep outtakes from all the shows. There's, there's been some great stuff over the over the years. <laughs> well, listeners, here we are for the long run. <laughs> So the long road have finally got ourselves into a room together, socially distanced, of course, but we are fortunate enough to be at Woodworm Studios, the three of us together right now, um, and we are near the, act- the end of a, a week of recording here. Uh, we're recording our, a new EP, four tracks that will be released uh, probably spring 2021, I guess it will be. Um, so we've got Steve Bonham here. Hello. And we've got Kev. 
Hello. There we go. So actually, three of us. There's there's no weird time delay. We're not waiting for the message right. to get to yeah, Spain. Yeah, and I, I almost miss it. Uh, we must say thank you to the Arts Council for supporting the project that we're working on right now. Mm. So it's called Down at the Crossroads, and um, Arts Council are doing a great job right now trying to keep the arts in the UK alive and going. And we're very grateful to be part of that. We're here recording um, new tracks for um, for release next year, uh, and the whole project is called Down at the Crossroads. Um, and it's all born out of this idea that we've been formulating, oh, for a couple of years now, really, but it's becoming more and more clear this year about the idea of artisan music. Mm. So, under, Steve, whether you want to tell us a little bit about what artisan means to you and why it's important to us right now? I guess we're artisans. You know, it's the, it's the idea of making things and that intimate relationship you have between making something and the raw materials and your heart and soul you know so artisan is is taking the folk music that we all grew up with and, and why what we mean by folk music mm-hmm. is not it's not fingering your ear holding your nose sort Fair of folk music. It, it's it's the music you grew up with the music around you and it's about the experiences around you and uh Artisan music is the idea that you're making music straight from that inner place of your of your very existence. Yeah. You know, your, your uh, humanity, uh, and, yeah. and it's about the subjects that you've experienced, and it's about the the tribe or the people or the communities in which you uh, you live, and and it's it's fulfilling that inescapable need to 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 tell the story. You know that we all have and. You know, I think we've said artisan four things. We know it's about you have to know your craft mm. to do it. It, it. It's about being authentic. It's got to be your voice. You know, it's not mimicking somebody else and somebody else's rules. It's got to be inspired. You know, I, I love anything that's handmade because there's an inspiration behind it. You mm. know, and um, and and last of all, it's got to have a intimate knowledge of the raw materials you're using. In this case it's 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 folk, rock, country, the stuff that we, we all grew up with from my mum singing me country songs when I was a little tales three years tell. old and yeah. you know that sort of thing. So. Yeah. I think that's that last point is one that sometimes people find a bit tricky to understand like, oh but what genre are you? And actually it's not the genre, it's those raw materials are the key thing for us. Yeah. We, we the three of us each have we've talked about it before on the podcast, we've each got our own sort of musical backgrounds, you know, if you, if you put it really bluntly, you know, sort of Kev's rock background, Steve's folk background, and my jazz background. Yeah. And you really, you know, you, 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 you use a very There's no wonder we're so eclectic. Really, yeah, exactly. When you, and, when you break it down to And that. you mix those three together. And initially, if you said that, people think, oh, well, your Venn diagram must be very disparate. And then there's, no, there's very little crossover there. But actually, there's a, lot. there's a huge amount of crossover. Yeah. And, it all, and a lot of it comes down to the storytelling. Mm, uh, yeah. And that humanity that comes across in all of those styles, mm. um, genres if you want to call them that, and that's what makes our stuff ours, is it's a yeah. crossover. I think this is the important thing, because uh, over the, you know, the musical years, there's been loads of different sorts of fusion, you know, there's been folk rock, jazz rock, mm. uh, you know, country blues, you know, and, and that isn't what we're about. That is almost like taking two formulas and mixing them together, which is a perfectly valid yeah. creative act. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's not, not what not we those, do. No, we, we, right. we actually what that though we have all these different things, 
what's what we've I think we've hope we've evolved over the last two years of intensive recording. I mean, we've done so much music <laughs> in that since two thousand eighteen. It's actually a deeply shared sensibility yeah. that 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 comes out. So we all bring these different aspects, these different raw mm. materials to it. But it's not in the way like let's write a jazz rock song or let's write yeah, a no, thing no. because it, it, it goes it goes through our our collective sort of consciousness and it is what it is when it comes yeah. out the other side yeah. you know yeah and I think I'm, thousands of thousands of songwriters and, and, and musicians are in that spot it's only later that somebody else or retrofits a label mm. absolutely absolutely yeah, rips to say as a label I don't think and I think that you know we, we're speaking about artism what artism means to me especially nowadays in these times that have been forced upon us, um, I think we'll see the rise of the artisan. You know, the, the bigger companies are less able to, to force that kind of pigeonholing on people. And artists will, are finding their own way to get heard and seen and, and probably reclaiming the, the very nature of what they are, you know. And I think the nature of acoustic music, what we do, it's, it's through your hands, we're telling mm. stories that that harks right back to the beginning of time when the stories that we all know and love through history it was the musician's job to keep that alive by collecting them as they traveled through the mm. land and and, mm. and retelling them uh, through the medium of song because that was the easiest way to remember things still is the easiest way yeah. to remember things my best spanish comes out when i sing a song in spanish i can remember every word perfectly yeah. try to speak it and i fall yeah. apart so uh, this has been a device to to tell stories since the beginning of time, and and I think we really tap into that tradition. And there, I think ex- extending the the idea that the rise of the artisan, there is also a, it's happening now. We can feel it. There's a rise of the artisan audience, people yes. that really want to engage with stuff that's well crafted. It, it has those four things, mm-hmm. those four elements. Because there is a there's a huge swathe of the music industry which is about mass produce mass produced stuff, mm-hmm. and it does very very well for lots of people, and lots of people make a great living out of it. And actually, a lot of people do love it, mm-hmm. but there is I think there's a, a much sort of more quiet, <laughs> maybe maybe minority, but I don't think a tiny minority. I think no, you know I think forty it's quite, sixty quite or whatever. I think there's a good yeah. chunk of people that really want, and they they're searching for. The people like us, and I know there are other artists out there making making stuff from the same place as us. That they really want to audiences want to hear that stuff, find that stuff, engage with that stuff, support that stuff. People want to see their own lives reflected in art. That's what makes it strike home for them. Yeah. And we don't see that in the mass-produced stuff. Us three here, no. which is why we we go for the the sort of stuff that we go for. Yeah. Um, and the audi- there are audiences out there that are hungry for it. And I, I kind of feel like in this age of social media, it's been lost that I, how you connect with that stuff. And so one of our missions that we're sort of starting now is the idea of a, a, a better, fairer music um, industry. Um, you know, the, the ecology of, of how live music and recorded music works, where artists, audiences, venues, um, independent um, record stores, independent DJs, independent radio, mm-hmm. all work better together talk more share more don't think of don't think of each other as competition yes. think of us stronger we've, together yeah. stronger together we've all got to make a better music industry for everyone's sake 
Yeah. Artists can't carry on doing what we're doing unless we have, unless we can make a, a sufficient enough living from it. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, audiences get bored of the same mass-produced trash that gets thrown out mm -hmm. from anybody with a MacBook and an internet connection. You want to thought-provoke and inspire, don't you? Yeah. That, that's that's mm -hmm. what yeah. the, the remit is, really. And, it, and it's what... Um, it's like a feedback loop. It, 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 if you get that from the audience, it inspires you to create yeah. as well. You know? So we, in, this, in this day and age, we, we, we as an industry, the music industry, has to work out how to better engage the people that want the stuff we want to make. Yes. Because uh, that's the tricky thing right now. Without, with lots of small venues closing, uh, even before COVID, but during COVID as well, even more will have gone. How do you make, how do you make those connections? Uh, and social media is part of the answer, but it's not the answer. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's it, there's such a backlash towards social media growing now that yeah. um, there's got to we have to find a better way and we're, and it's not going to be a one solution thing. No. It's going to be a tapestry of things that everybody in the industry needs to be conscious of and contribute towards yeah. to make it better for everybody. Audiences, artists, DJs, the record stores, the venues, everybody can benefit from a, a fairer, better system. Uh, and ultimately, there'll be more good stuff flying around. There'll be more good yeah, art, yeah, yeah. you know. Right, that's, yeah, these that's, days, that's, that's all to the good. My Vagabond Diary uh, this week looks at a trip I made around New Mexico in 2019. Uh, it was a mixture of trekking and road tripping around what turned out to be the most amazing state. And on this particular day, it was the day I went to Las Vegas. Not the big Las Vegas of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and a million one-armed bandits, but another Las Vegas of fewer, but perhaps more potent. Las Vegas, New Mexico, where Billy the Kid, etc., would hang out. It led to at least two songs being written, probably more. And I guess this is a long story, so part two will almost assuredly be next week. We arrived in Las Vegas at about three o'clock. It had been drawing me in for a while. It was once one of the most lawless places in the USA where people like Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday used to hang out in the gambling bars, and Billy the Kid would enjoy the company of dark-haired Spanish women. We could be shot for looking at the wrong person in the wrong way. It was also the scene of the melancholy tale of Paula Angelo, which I had somehow come across whilst rambling through the internet. She was said, wrongly as it turns out, to be the first woman to be hung in New Mexico. The picture on Wikipedia shows a hauntingly beautiful face framed in a shawl. She was hung twice from a cotton tree. The first time the hangman had forgotten to tie her hands and as she clawed desperately a rope round her neck, the crowd of dismay cut her down. At that point, some people said, she should go free if she had already been hung. But others, led by an eloquent male, of course, orator, said the court ordered that she should be hung until she was dead 
and dead she wasn't. So the whole ghastly business was done again and she was throttled on the end of a rope. The crime? To stab to death the soldier who had jilted her in order to return to his wife and five children, the existence of which he had forgotten to mention to her. She had been allowed to appeal, but the judge did not allow a stay of execution until the appeal had been heard. The whole thing is odd. As a crime of passion, she should not have been tried for first-degree murder. And anyway, the hanging of women was not something the Old West really did. For some reason, this sad tale had caught my imagination, and I had wondered about writing a song, a long ballad which I had never attempted before. I wondered whether I should find out more about her. I also wonder what I should see in this old cowboy town at the end of the Santa Fe Trail. In fact, getting there, I was rather charmed. The place, until recently, had fallen upon hard times, and so had been developed very little over the last hundred years. The main street and what they called the plaza was full of turn-of-the-century buildings and older. You know those rectangular, flat-roofed constructions with the tall, slender windows arched at the top, jostling together along the street in different heights and in sunburnt colours. Cortes, the old bank, Stern and Nam, and the E. Romero Fire and Hose Company, 1909. Most of the stores are now cafes or sell antiques and the like, but the place isn't pushing itself. It's not turned into a mock-up of its past. In fact, its raucous history is a little underplayed. In the Plaza Hotel, where I had a fine lunch, Doc Holliday had been involved in a shootout at the saloon and there also kept his dental chair in an office round the back. But there was no sign or flashing light to indicate that this was the case. I wandered around to see if there was any possibility of the echo of the life of poor young Paula. Perhaps, not surprisingly, there was nothing. I tried the museum, but it was closed for cleaning and the manager who I spoke to wasn't disposed to let me in. Feeling a little deflated, I headed back into the town seeking a beer. I passed a shop that was signed the Santa Fe Society. I looked in and saw lots of photos and exhibits about the trail. Two old men were sitting at the back. I walked in. One was rather small and dapper, and the other was incredibly old, with sprouts of hair appearing everywhere, including the top of his nose. He was wearing bibbed dungarees. His eyes were red-rimmed and roomy. He was, I thought, the oldest man sitting upright I had ever met. Can you help? I asked the first guy, who I later learned was called Leroy Ledoux. I'm over from England looking for tales and stories, and wondered if you knew anything about Paula Angelo. Sure, he said. A bit. Can I ask you some questions? Sit down. And as I did so, he went and locked the front door and put up the clothes sign. He spoke to the other guy, introducing him as Joe Lopez. He asked in Spanish whether he knew anything about Paula Angela. 
Joe shook his head. Well, you tell me what you know, said Leroy, and I will tell you anything else you haven't mentioned. In the end, Leroy confirmed the bare bones of what I knew. She came from Loma Parada, said Joe, all of a sudden in English. Leroy questioned me in Spanish and repeated the fact. It means Grey Hill in Spanish, he said. It was a wild place, a casino and bars. The soldiers five miles away from Fort Union used to come. It was the closest place they could find a woman. The soldiers would all head over there. Joe looked at me again, as if summoning up memories. Memories of the time that he might have been there. Soldiers used to fight with the local ranchers. The locals didn't like the way the soldiers treated their women. We speculated whether, in fact, Paula's lover was a long-service soldier, and given that he had five children, meant that the boys in his troop may have been very keen to avenge his death. It seemed easy to picture a scenario in which a naive, beautiful girl is drawn in by an older man and destroyed by it. Lero told me where Loma Parada was and said I should head out there that evening. They wanted something in return for this information. Leroy and Joe were both intrigued by my Englishness and the conversation moved on to origins, to where we all come from. Joe told me his family had moved over from Spain in the 1700s, that he was born on an Apache reservation. Leroy was a descendant of French trappers who had worked down the west coast of the United States, originally from Canada, presumably until they had run out of things to trap. I drew them a sketch of the British Isles, which fascinated Leroy particularly. Like many Americans, quite unreasonably, they were unaware of the details, the mysterious details of the United Kingdom. They asked about where local surnames common in Las Vegas, might originally have come from. The first of these were quite easy. Higgins, O'Neill, Jones. And then Joe asked me, where do the Bonnies come from? There are Bonnies in my family. I admitted I didn't really know, and then said, you know Billy the Kid was a Bonnie, William Bonnie? Sure, he nodded. Joe's the kid's third cousin, said Leroy. His grandfather knew him well. Joe nodded again. He was a handsome man. Not like that picture. The Spanish ladies loved him. So there I was, chatting to Billy the kid's relative. And who knows, might walk through the door next. Later, as I drove out to Loma Parada, as the sun grew low in the sky. I could not help but thinking, chance is the mirror in which you see all strange stories. Next week, I'll tell you what happened when I got there. Part two of that 
our story from Steve next week. Uh, I'm going to put in our song here called American Wilderness uh, that actually tells the story of Paula Angel that Steve was talking about a bit there. Um, it's a, a fairly hefty number in, in three parts. So settle in, uh, headphones on, and enjoy American Wilderness from Steve Bonham and the Long Road. He was the Yankee soldier, brave Michael Martin was his name. Soldier in a uniform, the ladies he found fame. They say she was an angel, feather one fell so low. It's night as the sun went down to the old creek they would go. She loved him too, and she loved him well all through the summer's night. Till they heard the bugle call, the day began to light. One day she said, Will you fly with so far away He kissed her on her lovely hair And told her he would stay
be the walking kind Silas stayed to knead the dough Bewildered in his head Killing of one so young While another's baking bread Welcome again to Kev's Cafe Corner. This week in the cafe, I'm going to be uh, discussing my recent trip 
to Santiago de Compostela on the Camino, um, which I began from Santander with my companion, Muddy Maninen, a guitarist friend of mine. And um, just to set the scene, I'd flown up from the south of Spain where I live and arrived in Bilbao and got a, a bus to Santander. Friday, October the 2nd, 2020. I'm sat in my studio apartment in Santander with my first coffee of the day. Tonight, Muddy arrives. The rain is beating out a gentle tattoo on the windowsill. Is it mocking me? Perhaps. But I choose to recall the moment yesterday when I stepped onto the tree-lined avenue here, the Camino stone beneath my feet and the sun on my face. I've never felt freer. I gave a smile to the heavens in thanks. No gods or deities for me. Just the universe, the acknowledgement of the space in which we dwell, and me being at peace with it. This afternoon, I'll buy my last supplies and search for the pilgrim passports. Saturday, October the 3rd, day one. So as I reminisce over day one here, dear listener, I, I write the journal, of course, at the end of the day. So it begins. Firstly, as a result of day one, I can't write properly. My hand is numb because the rucksack trapped a nerve. We left Santander at around 10.30am. The weather was bleak, strong winds and driving rain, but we persevered. At one point, the rain stopped and blue skies appeared. I looked up and smiled again. Simple gifts begin to take on great value. I felt fit, my feet were fine, and I was handling the 21k load well enough. What became immediately clear was that Muddy was struggling. I was way ahead of him, with within 500 metres. He said he wished he'd packed less, but I decided to keep to my rhythm, and every now and again I would wait for him. On the outskirts of the city we made our first coffee stop. There was, there was a fresh water tap, so I didn't need to use my supplies. Five minutes later, we sat on a bench, drinking hot coffee and greeting our first fellow Pellegrino. I used my muddy waiting time to get some nice photos. And as we headed out into the countryside and the views got better, the weather was still our enemy. Sometimes forward motion was almost impossible. We dug in and kept going, eventually finding a nice restaurant for lunch, though we were ordering what we thought was pork, but got cod, which was delicious. The last leg of the day's travel was difficult. We had a few stops, one for coffee, but Muddy was struggling more and more, barely able to walk. This was worrying on day one. I pushed him onward and we reached Palanca, but we couldn't locate the hostel. We called in at a BP garage for directions and instead we got some shocking news. All the auberge on the Camino seemed closed due to COVID. They suggested one across the way, a family hotel, by this point, we were beyond exhausted. We'd done 25 kilometres. The hotel was utterly deserted and we went back to the garage. They phoned another one and we found a hotel that by 9pm we'd got installed in. The weather was too bad to camp and it was too late to find any place to pitch. But as we were checking in, I realised I'd left my phone back at the garage. I was eventually reunited with it, which was lucky. So tomorrow, we recommence our journey and hope that the weather is kinder. 
Sunday the 4th of October, day two. Muddy and I awoke around 9am, just making it down to breakfast with 10 minutes to spare. Served by an attentive waiter, we took our fill of orange juice, ham and cheese, croissant and coffee. As we checked out, we noticed the torrential rain outside. We sat waiting for 10 minutes until it began to subside. Muddy was very pensive and he said, I'm going to have to see how I do over the next couple of hours. He'd gone to bed in agony and had taken painkillers. I can't remember exactly where it was, perhaps the bush shelter just outside Santilleria, but he said he couldn't do it anymore. It was around 2pm and we found a cafe in the village and had lunch while deciding what to do. I discovered there was a train service to nearby Torrelaviega and a train to Santander at 15.43. We ordered him a taxi. We embraced and I sent Muddy on his way. I've failed you, he said. No, he just hadn't really understood what the Camino entails. I was alone on my journey, perhaps for a reason. I hoisted my rucksack and set off in the rain. At times I'd never known rain like it, biblical storms. I covered 16k that afternoon, my boots completely waterlogged, yet I was at peace with myself. I arrived in Comilas. There was an open campsite. Sadly, I couldn't take advantage as everything I was wearing was soaking and, I, and it needed to dry properly. As I entered the town, I was greeted by the sight of the mighty Atlantic Ocean angrily crashing onto the rocks. I checked into the first hotel I could find, the Hotel Jussain. The view from my room was spectacular, nothing but the wild Atlantic. Muted by the winds and curtains, its roar became the lullaby that sent me off to sleep. Muddy checked in with me and I was pleased to hear he'd made it back to Santander safely. I told him not to be sorry. Without him, I wouldn't be on this journey. Everything happens for a reason. following last episode's crumpet recipe uh, further experimentation has occurred someone online i think suggested a mix of plain flour and bread flour might work even better uh, i wasn't sure I, I don't really understand what the difference is between plain and bread flour i'm sure there is a palpable one i just don't know what it is anyway uh, i did try half bread flour half plain flour uh, the original recipe says 100 percent plain flour um the results not terrible but you know, noticeably not as good. I don't know, but these seemed much softer. The inside was much more bready. You know, perhaps that's what bread flour does. Uh, anyway, I'm going to be sticking to 100% plain flour for my crumpets from now on. Um, apart from a secret festive project I'm working on in the kitchen right now, um, someone, I think, Steve, suggested I might enjoy investigating bagels as my next muse. You might be right. Uh, I do enjoy a good bagel. Um, so I'm going to head off to research some bagel recipes right now. More on that next time. <laughs> that's it for this week thanks for listening wherever in the world you are don't forget to subscribe to the podcast we're on apple podcasts soundcloud spotify amazon podcasts the next episode will be out next friday join us on youtube for the transatlantic connection show and become part of the transatlantic connection movement head to youtube.com slash the vagabond way 
All of our music is available on Bandcamp, where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry. Download, streaming, vinyl, CDs, it's all there. TheVagabondWay.Bandcamp.com We're also on Patreon at Patreon.com slash TheVagabondWay. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout-out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. Patreon is a great platform that makes it super easy for anyone out there, you, to support content that you love on a monthly basis. It gives you direct access to the people creating the stuff you love, us, hopefully, and you get to play an integral part in shaping the direction of the things that we make. So, become a Vagabonder. That's our name for our supporters on Patreon to help us create music, live performances, books and short stories, this weekly podcast, our YouTube show, and some new things that we're cooking up. As a Vagabonder, you can get the recordings and books we make for free, receive exclusive Patreon-only merchandise in the post, get regular behind-the-scenes updates from us, unlock access to exclusive livestream performances and Q&As, and lots more. You can help us create something different, something that entertains, and something that inspires others. So, join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within, patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige. It's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. Bye for now. (laughs) 